In this episode, we'll be talking to Jane Voice, who is SLT at the Global Academy. The Global Academy is a universal technical college based in Hayes, West London. It is a school that specialises in media studies and creative industries, taking on years 10 to 14. This podcast aims to explore how teachers are perceived by students and the public and to uncover a bit more about their personal lives, beliefs and struggles beyond their role as educators. If student voice has grown, why can't teachers? Hello all and welcome to Teaching Uncovered, The Unfiltered Truth, episode one. I have Jane Voice with me here. Hey! She is SLT at the Global Academy and I'll be asking her a few questions about her teaching and her lifestyle. Starting off, let's find out a bit more about Jane. Did you ever aspire to be a teacher? You know, when you were younger, did you think you want to be a teacher, you'd be in this profession or...? So it was always one of my career choices. Um, I was really fortunate at the school that I went to in Hillingdon. I won't name them. Um, (laughs) But I had really inspirational teachers. I had teachers who made you feel welcome from the moment you walked through the school gates, really um, were your biggest supporters and encouraged you just to try new things, get exposed to, you know, lots of different environments, and take risks and things like that. And they would be there to support you, but also comfort you because sometimes things don't work out. Um, exactly. But so I I saw these members of staff as really sort of inspirational and sort of the ser- sort of person I wanted to grow up to be. So it was definitely one of my top 10 uh, career choices or top three, actually. Okay. And if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Well... So the other option was I wanted to be a marine biologist. Very Um, different. (laughs) Yeah, obviously living in Hillingdon, there's not that many oceans for for me to explore that further. (laughs) You got Um, the Hayes Canal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, or uh, the Ricet Brook, you know. I'm sure there's something lurking in there. Um, But so there was that sort of barrier into really sort of developing that passion from a a young age um plus also my science skills probably weren't the a star that i needed (laughs) to do to get into university i did well though just for those students that i teach science to at the moment um but the other career that i really wanted to do so my background is performing um i'm also very much a people person and so i also like the sunshine so i thought why not merge everything together (laughs) and open up my own Coyote Ugly Bar. Um, so that would have been probably the the next option if I hadn't have got into teaching. Yeah, it would make money. Yeah, it would yeah. make, money. Would make money. I'd be yeah. able to sing and dance and jump around like a lunatic yeah, on the bar. Yeah, together, why not? Um, yeah, so that would have been my career choice. <laughs> and talk me through your journey as a teacher. How did you become a teacher? How did you get into it? Yeah, so like I said, I was always really passionate about performing arts. Um, music in particular. Um, So I did my A-levels, I did English literature, theology and philosophy and music. And I was like, what do I do with these? I've got these three A-levels. I really want to do something at university that's creative. So I did a music performance degree. Um, From there, one of the units was a teaching placement, just working with young people. And I was like, do you know what, actually, I had inspirational music teachers. I've really enjoyed this. I still get to do the music side of it. Um, And yeah, so that's how I just went straight on to do my PGCE and straight into teaching. Oh, so quite a 
like a smooth transition yeah you, know, you weren't cut in the middle and you didn't know what to do or no it just sort of naturally flowed okay. um so yeah that's good that was that was my journey ah yeah um if you were to leave teaching within the next 10 years what do you think would be the reason because i'm too old <laughs> <laughs> i have to say i always have i always sort of think about what does my future look like and to be honest i can't see my my career ever being outside of teaching i know there's lots of um lots of pressures on teachers and that definitely has increased throughout my career not just in terms of how my position has um has changed within schools but i think also there are a lot more pressures put on teachers just generally by Ofsted and by just yeah yeah, we won't go into that (laughs) that'll be a whole other podcast um or several um but I think you know I've always I'm still just so passionate about it and so the joke was that you know I'd be the teacher chasing students in the corridor on my little motorized scooter um (laughs) in my 80s because I just I can't see that passion changing. There, there might come a day where actually I go, okay, I've imparted all my knowledge, um, but I'm constantly learning myself from students, from other professionals. Um, and so, yeah, I, until that day comes, you're stuck with me here at the academy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, um, now, this is quite a serious question, but what is one topic that you can't speak enough about? Whether that's political, whether that's lifestyle, just one topic that you will not stop going on about. I think it's probably come through within this podcast is mental health okay. and yeah. just, you know, positive mental health and just, you know, good vibes only. Sorry, Sophia, I've stolen your tagline there. Um, <laughs> but I think it's it's all about that. It's, you know... If you don't look after yourself and there's so much talk about, you know, looking after your physical health and that side of things. But actually, you also have to look after your mental well-being. Yeah. And you have to, you know, make sure that you are looking after yourself, because if you're not looking after yourself, then you're you're not going to be able to function. Um, And. So, yeah, so that's the one topic that I cannot talk enough about. I do agree. I feel like, I know, um, mental health has been spoken about a lot more recently, like yeah. over the years and stuff. Obviously, it's gone a lot more conversation. Whereas you know, back in the day, it wasn't something that was spoken about as often. Yeah. Um, but what do you think we could do as a society to make it easier for everyone? To talk about I think we need to just go back to basics and people just need to be kind to each other. Yeah. And just... You know, you can you can look at someone and see, you know, are they having a good day? Are they not? And actually, it takes two seconds to just to say to that person, you know, are you okay? Yeah. Um, Because random question. When was the last time someone asked you if you were okay? Um... I feel like everyone asked me, like, literally the coming down the stairs, prayer was like, oh, are, you, are you okay? Like, you know, yeah. everyone says you're okay, but are you okay? You know, yeah. you're like, you're going to say, it, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. You know, I'm good. Yeah. But are you really? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like one of those things. But I think um, after Caroline Flack's death, I think one, one thing that we've learned from that is the pressures of tabloids. Yeah. And just talking to someone as yeah. well. Um, I feel like 
as it rocked it, it really devastated the uk and then i think we've all learned from that definitely and you know within my social circle um and actually my like circle of friends who i've gathered through my career actually that's something that has touched my um my network is actually yeah. you know i've unfortunately had friends who have committed suicide and former work colleagues and again it's just that you know if some if more people are asking are you okay and signposting people that you know you can prevent um and support and for some people it's really difficult to to reach out because there is still as much as we talk about mental health there still is still that on. stigma it, about it, i think it will always be going on no yeah what, and also you know it it is really difficult to say actually i'm not okay i'm struggling but you know the more we reach out to people hopefully the more people will definitely will start to speak now onto our first topic of curriculum would you say that the um curriculum nowadays is outdated because that's a quite a hot topic. I, I feel like here what we do isn't outdated because of the exam boards we do. But do you feel like AQA or Edexcel, you know, those exam boards like in history or... Obviously history is going to be outdated because it yeah. is history. <laughs> but, you know, like um, <laughs> some of like what we learn like in maths, I feel like we can be learning a lot more about taxes and finance and housing and, you know, things like that. Yeah, I think there's certain elements of the curriculum that could, that are missing. So like you said, you know, financial numeracy. You know, it's it's brilliant being able to do algebra and trigonometry and all of those skills that actually, you know, for some careers you do need. But I think whether it be through the maths curriculum, whether it be through a citizenship program or through the PSHE program, there needs to be more focus on helping young people to develop the skills that they need, just life skills. So, for example, when I got my first mortgage, I had no idea what a mortgage was. I had no idea about interest rates. And even now, quite often, I go to Sophia and go, Sophia, what's what's the best interest rate? <laughs> what, what, do, what do I do about this with finance? Um, because I never learned that. And so, you know, even my parents' generation didn't learn that at school. Yeah. They've just sort of muddied their way through yeah. it. Um, so I think those sort of preparing for life lessons i know we do a lot of it here in terms of for sixth form and i think we're really fortunate that we've created that program because there's a lot of um schools that have you know through their pshe curriculum and even in their sixth form they're not offered those sort of skills Doing maths until you're in sixth form until you're 18 yeah um, rishi sunak was trying to pass um i feel like yes but not trigonometry and algebra yeah. and that at a high level i'm i'm thinking more fi- finance council tax house tax um, yeah. road tax everything tax you know yeah. i think it's finance. it's more of a rather than just saying you know across the board everyone needs to do maths until they're 18 actually that post 16 maths option it, it isn't just about the maths it's also about you know developing um interview skills and sort of it could be a much bigger and better program than what it is in terms of just just do maths yeah there's there's more to life than maths but, <laughs> um yeah so that's my 
my personal opinion is I feel it needs to be more of a almost like a personal development program okay in sixth form rather than just numeracy yeah, yeah just numeracy yeah what's one way do you feel that is most successful in that students retain that information you know obviously everyone has their own learning um tool and revision tools yeah. that they work but what do you think is most successful um i think oh good question you've got loads of good questions <laughs> on this it's really making me think um so i think probably the best way of getting students to retain information is just to make it fun whether it be that you're turning um, learning something into, you know, maybe an acrostic poem so you remember the key terms that way or whether it's you make a jingle or... Jingles you, are the one way yeah. to make it fun. Yeah, or even just like storyboarding or um, just making it really visual, I think, is a key thing as well because if even if you're not a visual learner and there was, you know... We've gone through the stages where when students come into school, there was a lot of focus on, you know, are they a visual learner? Are they an audio learner? Um, are they kinesthetic? Do they need to do things? I think we've moved away from that and we try and do resources and things that any type of learner can access. Yeah, that everyone will. Yeah. Will so, from. you know, just making it bright, vibrant, engaging, interactive, all of those, you know, you learn, you retain a lot more about things that you've done rather than what you've heard or seen. Yeah. Um, so even just, you know, turning things into a colourful mind map and stuff like that actually you is remember just... It more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Now that's it for our first topic of curriculum, but now on to our second topic of struggles and the struggles teachers face. What is one thing that you wish you were told before you started teaching? Oh, what's the one thing I wish I'd been told? Karma. You will always come across that student that is basically yourself. Because um, <laughs> I wasn't the easiest student. Yeah. Um, which is why I think I relate so well to students. Um, but in all seriousness, I think the... Oh, good question. God, the voice he stumped for words. Um, <laughs> I think probably the one thing I wish I'd been told is that just to, as long as you as a teacher feel like within your classroom, you are fulfilling the expectations that the students have of you in terms of delivering the best education that you can. I think ignore the other external pressures that are on you um, because that can really demoralize you. And as long as within your organisation, within your own practice and the feedback from the students is actually you're fulfilling your purpose, you're enriching their lives and you are um, just, you know, empowering those students with knowledge. I think, you know, that's the that's the reason why we came into teaching and that's that's what teaching's about. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I don't really want to be a teacher, but my parents have said if if like my actual career doesn't work out, always come back to Global Academy for a teaching career. Absolutely, <laughs> we'll have you back in a heartbeat. Oh. <laughs> um, obviously, being a teacher is very stressful, um, as many teachers have said, and as we all know. Um, but how do you would you say cope with the stress of being a teacher? Or 
I think I'm really fortunate that the team here at Global Academy is really supportive and I've got, you know, really supportive friends, great social circle. Um, plus also I um, spend a lot of time focusing on my own well-being outside of the academy. So um, everyone who knows me knows that I'm obsessed with Zumba. Um, and fitness classes. Um, I, I did enjoy your Zumba classes on, yeah. on PE day. Yeah, there was a good Zumba class. Um, so I'm obsessed with that, but also um, yoga. So mindfulness and just, you know, taking that time just for self-care and just looking after you. Um, because it is really stressful. And on top of sort of, you know, the stresses within the workplace, you're also a human. So you will have stresses outside of the academy um and so it's really important that you have that work-life balance because it can become you can get yourself all consumed with work take that home with you and then you know you lose that that downtime and that's really important to be able to look after yourself because if you don't look after yourself there's you're not going to be able to be any use to anyone else um so yeah that's that's really how i look after my own yeah. Would Stress. you say you take a lot home with you? Like how, how, roughly how many hours do you spend over time, maybe? Um, I have got a lot better over the years. So there would be a time where I would be working until late into the night. So if we're talking 11, half 11 at night. Um, but because particularly, I suppose this realisation came during um, the lockdown period okay. when, you know, your workspace was also your home space. And so you had to create that separate time because otherwise yeah you'd just be working full stop just for something to do while you're locked in and can't see anyone um just to work (laughs) in it (laughs) but um yeah so i think i've been really disciplined in making sure that you know when i leave the academy and go home that actually that is my time and so the evenings is when i do the fitness classes and that side of things and then if i choose to look at an email or something like that then I can, but I don't put that expectation on myself to do that. What motivates you to teach? You know, I, I, do you feel like it's motivated has gone down over the years, or do you feel like youth has changed? You know, I think there's definitely been a shift in the pressures that young people face today. I mean, even um, you know, throughout my teaching career, so I'm probably coming into my. 20 something year of teaching I'm not going to say too much because that will give away my age Um, (laughs) but so I've I've seen how the pressures on young people in regards to social media in terms of massive even within their peers and you know all these pressures of you have to decide straight away what you're going to do and you have to do only these subjects for GCSE and be really sort of put into a box from a young age for so for me what really motivates me and has kept me in teaching is just being able to sort of help students to find their own way and their own paths to discover who they are without you know the social pressures getting to them um, and helping them to become more resilient to deal with those social pressures as well and so really just seeing students you know, flourish in all areas and develop um, and achieve whatever they want to achieve rather than the, you know, 
I shouldn't really be saying this as a vice principal, but it's not just all about grades. It's about becoming the person that you want to be um, and finding that success, whatever it is for you. Exactly. It's The grades is what you want them to be. You know, yeah. not worry. Obviously, you can aim high, as as you should be saying. But you know, as long as like I was happy that I was passing, and that that that's me when I was doing GCSEs. You know, yeah. I'm happy that I was getting fours. You know, at least I'm passing, and I can get onto what I need to get to. Um, so I feel like that that message is yeah, important. Yeah, definitely, and it's important to you know have those aspirations to you know achieve those high grades, um, but also to you know be confident that whatever your grade is if it's not that grade the that high grade that you were achieving for and driving towards actually as long as you've done your best we can't ask any more of you and you can't ask any more of yourself more importantly yeah so just you know try your hardest that's that's all you can do in life so earlier you mentioned speaking about um the pressures of youth today um so what does that exactly mean how would you yeah, I think in terms of the pressures for youth today, I mean, in my day, oh, I sound old, uh, <laughs> you know, we literally just had MySpace and and that was it. And so you didn't really have that much sort of um, pressure on you on a sort of day-to-day basis in terms of sort of people's opinions about certain things, about what to wear, how to look what grades you need to get sort of constantly at your fingertips through your phone. I mean, yeah. we didn't even have phones until <laughs> I got into year 11. I mean, we had phones, people. Don't don't think I'm Just that old. mobile phones. Yeah. Um, and so in terms of, you know, I just, even on my own feeds on Instagram, and I don't look at anything really to do with sort of body image or things like that, um, where I look at a lot of positive things, the algorithms have clearly reflected that on the things that I get. But when I look at some of the other stuff that comes through, there's just so much pressure about, you know, even seeing magazine covers and body parts being highlighted and things like that. And, you know, Mining Class recently said it on the I'm a Celebrity um, South Africa about Uh how she used to see magazine pictures and they'd circle like a little bit of cellulite or things like that. And it's just like, who cares? She's a singer and Do also a person. Yeah, like, at the end of the day. This, this is something that everyone's going to get, no matter how fit you are. Um, you don't even have to be particularly old to get that. It's just something that happens, people. And people just need to get over it. Yeah. Um, and stretch and marks and yeah. all that kind of stuff. I feel like it's not... It, it it's, doesn't define it's, you. It's getting more normalised, but not as much as it should be. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, it, it's that sort of pressure that youth have, plus also, you know, the pressures out in the community. You hear, you know, constantly on a daily basis about youth crime, gang violence, and all of that that's going on in the communities where young people live and just... You know, that's another pressure that they have. Um, Financial pressures, you know. How to save. Yeah, how to save. Everything is getting much more expensive. I mean, again, not to make me sound like an old fuddy-duddy that was born a million years ago, but I used to get given a fiver, be able to get the bus to the cinema, get McDonald's to eat in the cinema, go in the cinema, and then get the bus back and still have change. 
No, no, you can't now, do that now. Now that doesn't even get you an ice cream in the cinema. It's so bad. It's li- no four pound for toothpaste. It's four pound for Colgate. I, yeah. I, I was in Sainsbury's. <laughs> I was shocked as anything. I was like four pound for toothpaste. It's, and it's even crazy. like it's Pringles. Up and up. A pot oh. of Pringles used to be a pound. Yeah, one twenty-five or two twenty-five. Two pounds something the other day. I was like, no, I can deal without Pringles in my life. Exactly, make them at home. Yeah. <laughs> make them home for cheaper. <laughs> or stick with the own brands, people. It's the same thing. Yeah. Just not in a named brand tub. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's my same recipe and everything, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um. So I think you know, there's just so many different pressures, and if we were to talk through them all, I think. You know, that's another It'd be podcast. never ending, would it? Yeah. yeah. It'd be like, part four with Jane. Um, <laughs> but I think that's a, that's something that I'm really aware of is whenever I'm speaking to a student and they're going through a tough time, it's actually, it makes me more aware of how the situation is just getting more and more intense for students in terms of the 100%. different pressures. Now on to our next topic of changes in schools and what change could you make to your school? AI. Now this is a massive topic now. It's coming in more and more, Yeah. Um, as we all know. But do you think AI will threaten your job in the next 10 years? I don't think it will threaten our jobs. I think it will change a lot with how how we teach and maybe even what we teach, like how to actually embrace it because i think there's certain elements of ai that actually you can embrace and you can um bring into the curriculum um but in terms of whether it would threaten teachers jobs i mean unless they're going to put robots in a classroom and then good luck to the robots trying to control a class of 30 um (laughs) because i think in terms of you know you can't um you can't sort of predict what's going to happen yeah, and yes. so i think unless they are like amazingly responsive to human reaction and motion i think we're probably a long way off so okay. if it does happen it will definitely not be in my lifetime <laughs> okay so maybe 30 years down the line or uh Maybe like 30, 40 years down the line. Yeah, definitely. There, there will be a time, won't there? Yeah. But I think it is making us a lot more lazier. Have you had any students? Who oh, are... you you can always tell when one particular AI um, bot has been involved in essay writing <laughs> or um, <laughs> some kind of response because suddenly there's bigger words. Um, oh, yeah. So I think that's just... You know, a little word of warning, if you are using certain AI um, sites that I will not name, um, please do not plagiarise because it will still invalidate your work. <laughs> and we know. Uh, yeah, I think teachers teachers will definitely know. I think as a student, you're like, oh, that's, that's really good. That's actually yeah. really good. Miss will be impressed. But, you but know. it also, it does have some really good features in terms of if I have a long piece of text that I just want to get the summary out of, I can just copy and paste it in there and just ask it to summarise yeah. and just put it into key bullet points and things just like that. Just for you and like revision and stuff. It's, yeah, it's absolutely. Helpful. So it could be a really good revision tool, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe that's something I'll share with the Year 11s. <laughs> How to revise for your science GCSE next week. <laughs> AI. <laughs> um, and obviously you mentioned that you've been teaching for the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, how has that changed for you? Um, I think a lot has changed in terms of, I know I mentioned it previously about the demands on teachers. Um, our roles have got a lot bigger than just you are a teacher in the classroom um, you know, there's a lot more, the pastoral care that teachers it's do higher. now um, has developed, which is brilliant. Um, that's a fantastic thing. And actually it's made, you know, the workforce of teachers a lot more empathetic towards students and more aware of students' circumstances and those sorts of things. Um, but in other aspects, I think the amazing use of ICT I mean, when I first started teaching, it was a overhead projector um, that you had to write on this bit of film and it sort of just was this box that just projected it onto a white wall or thing. Uh, but now you've got, you know, your interactive whiteboards, you've got so many more resources to hand than just, just a box. <laughs> yes. Yes, and they were massive and heavy. So if you're in a classroom that didn't have it, there was no way that you were going to go and go get one and from forth. somewhere else. <laughs> um, so I think in terms of, you know, the the technologies that's available to teachers actually enables us to make the lessons a lot more interactive, a lot more engaging. Because um, I know certainly within my own practice, I've been able to do that. Whereas yeah. before it, there was a lot of, what's known in the teaching world as chalk and talk so a lot of writing on the whiteboard then you talk about it then you rub it off and then you put the next bit on there and but now actually you can um you know it's it's just a lot more accessible to students a lot more colorful and yeah just engaging and that you know in itself really helps students to actually retain the information yeah this one's more about the Global Academy, and obviously it's m much more different to mainstream schools, so UTC as, yeah. as obviously you know. <laughs> um, but how has the Global Academy created an environment which enables an open conversation, whether that's between students or, or teachers or, you know? I think one of the great things about Global Academy is the, the whole ethos of the school is built on mutual respect. Yeah. And so the, the most obvious thing is the fact that actually... I'm called Jane by my students. And when I started my career, you know, constantly hearing Miss Voice, Miss Voice, you sort of feel like you are that teacher. And there is that that almost shift in sort of um, hierarchy. Whereas yeah. actually, if you're called by your first name, that's what my dad calls me. That's what my friends call me. So actually, yeah. everyone's on a level playing field. Yeah, and it just means that everyone's more approachable um, and that just enables so many more open conversations. But also the way that here we are so diverse yeah. and it's not like any other school where I've worked in where everyone is basically clones in the same uniform with the same hair colour, haircut. It's just everyone here can just be themselves, whether that be a member of staff or a student. Yeah. I think that's what's so powerful about the school as well. Um, yeah, that's uh, my next question. For what in your life do you feel most grateful for? Ooh. I think in terms of 
my life. I am just generally grateful for how, you know, most things in terms of, you know, I'm really fortunate that I've got a really good job. I've got good friends. I've got um, a good flat. I've got a good car. And I think that makes me more appreciative and more um, aware of other people and sort of their their struggles. um, Not just their struggles, but also because... I realized that, you know, some people don't have those opportunities yeah. to be able to get that. It makes me more grateful um, that I've been fortunate to have those opportunities that have opened up doors, that have, you know, put me in a f- good financial position. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just general gratitude for life, really. Yeah, that's um, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, because also, you know, some people you know, every day is a gift. You don't know Always. what is around the corner. You yeah. don't know, you know, you you just can't tell. You need basically. a point, Yeah, it? exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it's all, it's all about just being grateful for everything and YOLO. Yeah, I think, I think definitely like having your own job at a young age and stuff, you get to realise how much, like the value of money is, yeah. my parents keep saying, you know, learn the value of money and then you'll understand that you can't just keep buying stuff and yeah. can't keep buying clothes. You know, I'm the worst of buying clothes for no yeah. reason. But Just don't go down the credit card route. Oh, that, God. That was my, that was another nugget of information there to people and a nugget of advice. Just don't do it. Because Apple. once you get one, it's a rocky road. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> just, just be careful if you do. <laughs> if you do, be careful. <laughs> just look at, uh, 0% balance transfers and just transfer it across. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just don't, just don't get one. Okay. What's your one piece of advice to give to another teacher who may be just starting out or other teachers to cope? You know, what's your kind of advice to them? I think, like I said, with the work-life balance, that is key. Um, but also, don't be afraid to talk to other teachers about their experience and ask for advice. I think particularly in the early days of my career, I didn't want to ask anyone, you know, how do you cope with this? How do you stop yourself from feeling overwhelmed? Because you see all these amazing teachers that you work with who are just, you know, absolutely smashing out lessons and, you know, everything's going well. And then you look at your practice and the amount of marking that you've got to do and you're sort of like, I can't say anything because I'll feel superior to them. And they'll realise that, you know, maybe I'm not doing such a great job or, um, and all that negative self-talk starts. So I think yeah. before you get to that stage, actually reach out, talk to others, because um, everyone's been there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my words of wisdom on that. What is one message you have to the general public about teaching? Um, and also maybe within that answer, um, like what's a barrier that you want to break down? Maybe whether it's a stereotype about teachers you want to break down or something. Ooh. I love this question. So if you remember 2020, let's take us all back to 2020. (sighs) COVID year. Yeah, the year that never was. (laughs) Um, But the one thing it did do is there was a massive outpouring of appreciation for teachers by parents and the the general public. And, you know, that gave parents and the wider public just an insight into what we do 
on a daily basis how we you know work with students who struggle with their learning or even those who are amazing at their learning and just you know really sort of um giving them more work and sort of really stretching them so that they don't get bored they don't get disengaged yeah um and parents were finding out that you know little johnny is really really bright but actually he has decided he's done the work he's done and so you know his progress is stagnating sort of thing yeah so we went through that honeymoon period of everyone loves teachers um look at all the hard work they do we really appreciate you then schools reopened and life resumed back to Normal-ish. Not normally, yeah. Normal-ish. <laughs> Don't say normal because yeah. it's not normal. There's no normal <laughs> anymore. Um, but then the the sort of tide turned a little bit with new government initiatives, um, with then following on with like teacher strikes and things like this. There seems to have been a, a shift in the mindset of the public in terms of yeah teachers our responsibility um with students and young people um and strikes going on everything yeah and it's almost like well there's strikes going on our our children need an education and you know teachers are absolutely here to educate and we want to educate but we also want to create a a climate where people are recognized for the hard work they're doing um in term you know and that does unfortunately boil down to sometimes money yeah and the reason why you know teachers are taking a stand for it is actually because the students who were teaching who were teaching at the moment some of them are eventually going to be teachers yeah and so if we don't stand up for it now and what's it going to be like for them yeah we're just creating a society where actually there'll be no change and then in 10 years time when the the next batch of teachers come out from our students actually they're in the same position that some of the staff are in now and so it's almost like i i want the public and you know everyone to know that we're here to educate and you know we will we will do we will go above and beyond to educate students and all of my colleagues i can put my hand on my heart and say you know they are here for the right reasons we're not here for the money and yeah. um, we're here because we want to work with young people we want to make a difference we want to help them achieve and just to be mindful of that is that you know think back to 2020 and when people were recognizing what goes on behind closed doors in a school yeah and, and what like you know parents are struggling with one one child imagine having 30 children yeah or, or you know more than that sometimes yeah and just, you know, just remembering that and just go back to that shared appreciation um, and that working together, I yeah. think, is key. And, you know, don't don't blame the teachers who are working with your children yeah. for something that is a much wider, wider issue. issue. Yeah. Same with, like, uh, doctors. I know I was um, reading something that uh, a doctor was get would have got paid more as a coffee barrister. Yeah. And to me that's like a doctor who's in charge of our lives, who saves our lives, yeah. who does who has to learn so much as well with yeah. uni and everything. Yeah, and um, the debt that uni brings. Yeah, as well. 
And they're getting paid less than a coffee barista at yeah. Costa. Yeah. Someone it's, who makes drinks all day. You know, I'm not, I'm not yeah. belittling the job, but, you know, compared to a doctor, it's a very yeah. much a smaller job. It's a different, than, it's a much larger skill set. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, yeah, and that's, you know, that's crazy, is that actually someone and who... Yeah, and, and it's it's also that sort of desire and that aspiration that that person had that they want to go out and they want to help people. Yeah. And it's like their empathy for other people, actually sometimes they need a bit of empathy pack and, you know, just looking after as well. Whether that be in a, you know, being mindful in the way that you're talking to them and that side of things. Um but also in recognition for their pay. But yeah, so that would be the, very strong message. the the message that I want to give to the general public is please be reassured that whatever craziness is going on, we're in the profession here because we love working with your students. We want to see them achieve. And, you know, there is a, a higher power putting pressure on teaching staff and the the things we have to cover curriculum wise in a very short period of time um so we're we're trying our best and but know that we're here for the students and for you and um, the main thing. yeah and that's the main thing and a question <laughs> um so obviously you're a teacher before you're vice principal um so within that shift in leadership and, and change in role, do you feel like that's changed your outlook on students, on the curriculum, on you know the whole teaching subject or teachers themselves? Has that changed your viewpoint or your perception? I, I definitely think as I've progressed in my career, my eyes have been opened up to a lot more um, wider experiences and more perceptions of things. Um, so for example, you know, when you first start as a classroom teacher, you your sole focus is your students your subject your classroom but actually you know as you then go up throughout the the career progression you know if you become a head of department then actually you focus on not just your classroom but everyone else in your department's classroom and how the results as a whole look um in terms of you know as a vice principal I've not only I not only look at that element, but I also look at, you know, what's the wider learning experience that students are getting um, making sure that, you know, also staff feel supported um, to to deliver that. Because like I mentioned previously, you know, making sure that workloads being managed um, and just checking in with people, I think in terms of students and perceptions of students, I'm definitely more aware now and mindful of the different backgrounds because I'm exposed to more information and I think you know as a a leader knowledge is definitely key in all areas and making sure that you know you have knowledge of students from the moment that they apply to your school all the way through until they've left and it's just about making sure that you know what's going on with that student that you're you can put the support in place that you can um, stretch them and encourage them um, and just really help them to achieve their aspirations throughout their whole journey with you. Yeah. Um, so you sort of get a lot more of a 
wider view of everything. And I definitely, um, I love having that sort of overview of everything um, and just sort of seeing the amazing work that my colleagues are doing um, because it it makes you um, reflect constantly on your own teaching practice. It also makes you sort of really appreciative of, you know, just what a great team we have and um yeah just helps with the the community feel of the school yeah um and sorry one one more question (laughs) um what's the rudest thing or yeah what's the rudest or most silliest thing that a student has said or done to you or done in the classroom i think oh silliest thing or, or I remember, rude. yeah. So the silliest thing was in my first week of being a trainee teacher. So in my first year, so I'd finished my PGCE, first week, new school. Um, one student flipped out in my year nine music lesson and threw a hairbrush at me. Yeah, a hairbrush. A hairbrush. Um, yeah, it hit me and everything. Um, oh but, you know, we, we move on. Um, she had just flipped, but, you know. The bad day or? Yeah, just a bad day. Like, completely out of character for the student. So, just a bit of a, a talk about, you know, what caused that and things like that. And that was the end of it. Because even in my early career, I was really mindful of, you know, making sure that if there was a reaction or behavior demonstrated by a student that actually I understood what the root cause was. Yeah. Um, and not just you'll take yeah. offense to that or anything. You have yeah. to understand what yeah. they're going through. Whereas, you know, I think quite a few people, if that happened to, it would be like, what's going on? Exclude the child. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was really mindful of that. And um she went on to continue doing A-level music with me and got an A, so we made friends throughout the oh, okay. whole time. Um, and the rudest thing, oh, I don't really know. I think one thing, the worst thing that a student can say to me is, you don't care. I think that that for me, I would, I don't mind being, you know, if a student's having a bad day or they've, you know, they're frustrated about something, being called any name under the sun because I don't take that personally. But when it comes to a student saying something along the lines of, you know, you don't care or or something like that, I that actually quite hurts me because yeah. I am the sort of person who, you know, thinks about every student and wants them to, like I said earlier, be their best self and achieve their dreams and aspirations um and so whenever that is said then it does sort of make me reflect on you know what is there a way that i could have shown the student a little bit more um it makes you think everything you've done and said yeah and also it makes me have that conversation with them about you know it might not be in that moment because they might not be in the right mindset to actually have that rational conversation um 
but you know definitely later on in the day or following days I would definitely catch up with the student and just do a bit of you know restorative sort of conversation and just see where that came from was it something that was actually just you know said in the heat of the moment or is that something that they actually feel and mean. um yeah and just to sort of reassure them you know if if not just me but teachers generally didn't care we wouldn't be here yeah we, <laughs> we would we not would come be, to work we would not yeah we would be not undermining tutors but we would be it working for a tuition service where in fact you know it's just a face that comes in and you get your money and they go whereas actually um, every day yeah working your like working your butt off to yeah. make sure everything's okay everything's yeah. good all the students are okay yeah um but what's the what's the saddest thing that a student has done for you or you know like made you tear up because of you know how well they've done or you know a nice story um i'm quite an emotional person particularly when someone goes out of their way to sort of thank me for something because for me i'm just you know that's just the sort of person i am i don't do things because i want to be thanks or anything like that i just do it because i genuinely care and i want the best for everyone and whether that be in school friends family and so i think when people do take the time to sort of you know I've had students before who've suddenly come in with massive bunches of flowers and you know if I've left a a school um for example when I left my previous school to come here because I'd got promotion here um I think you know I had students who I'd taught years ago turn up with bunches of flowers and and you know just even coming to say, say you bye. know thank sweet. you for everything um you know tell me all about what they've been up to and I'm just so proud of them that really sort of gets me because I'm not here for the thanks I don't feel like I deserve that thanks um you more than do miss the (laughs) fact that I've seen them them grow and achieve and stuff like that that is the the thanks that you yeah the biggest reward ever and so there is no no thanks needed um and yeah, like even now, I'm like, oh, it gets me a little bit, a <laughs> little bit moche. Oh, thank you, miss. It's lovely. Um, That's right. Voice by name, voice by nature. <laughs> <laughs> if there was one thing that you could change about the curriculum, anything at all, what would it be? I think just making it more, I guess, more engaging for students. Do you think it's not engaging enough? I think... The curriculum in itself, in terms of what the exam boards are asking students to learn, is, you know, it's knowledge you need to learn about that subject. But I think, like, for example, with functional maths, it's still doing the math skills, but actually it's a lot more, um, the students can relate to it a lot more. The language that's used is a lot more um, relatable. The scenarios, you know, the students can actually visualise yeah. themselves in that situation like going to the shop ask yeah for change exactly and, yeah. but i think with the other subjects it's you know the wording's quite vague the subject area that they have to cover itself is quite sort of broad um and so actually you know for those 
especially as we're unfortunately in a situation where we're moving away from a lot of vocational courses. And so we've got a low, a lot of low ability students who in five, six years time, when the majority of the vocational courses have gone, actually they're gonna struggle to access the main curriculum yeah. and to get the grades um, that, you know, they might not be an intellectual student, but they're an amazing creative student. So the type of student who would have done, for example, BTEP music, actually, if that course was to go and they were then forced to do GCSE music, that's a completely different type of experience of and learning and yeah. knowledge base. Um, so they might have got a distinction in the BTEC, but actually when it comes to doing GCSE music, that only you know transpires to be a level two. And so I think, yeah, I think there needs to be a lot more thought about if we are taking away these hands-on vocational courses, how are we, what what are we doing to plan for the future for students who don't have, you know, the best um, knowledge base already, the lower starting points, those with special needs, um, just really making sure that the future curriculum is more inclusive. Okay, yeah, I like that answer. Um, and obviously keeping it more inclusive, how would you do that? You know, like say, obviously you're, you're a vice principal. And Senko. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, obviously within the school, how would you change that if you had the power? I mean, obviously you do have the power, but, yep. you know, how would you? Basically? I think, you know, here we're really fortunate in that the majority of our courses are vocational based um even the ones who the courses that we are doing the gcse curriculums we've looked at the curriculum um overviews and the content that has to be covered by that exam board and made sure that it's something that actually any student can access so i think here we're in a really good position in terms of our curriculum is inclusive for everyone um but i think you know, moving forward, it's just about keeping that. So if we do face a situation where one of the courses that we run um, does lose its funding so we can't continue it, the the replacement course is equally as accessible for students. I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this first episode and for everyone who tuned in. Um, it means a lot to me. And also a massive thank you to Jane, Alice and Aoife for helping me so much with this whole episode, with the whole um, podcast in general. Um, just a massive thank you to you guys. Thank you. If you like this episode but want more, please go follow the podcast Instagram at Teacher Uncovered. See you guys next episode. Bye. <laughs>